Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. So the first day of our 43rd anniversary session, so often we recite Hakuin Zenji's Song of Zazen. Hakuin Nikaku Zenji, the founder of our school, wrote this poem in ordinary Japanese, not Chinese characters, Sino-Japanese, but Japanese that was used for everyday language. And he did so because he really wanted to convey the heart of the practice through this poem, this song. So, since it's the first day, I thought we might take a look at some passages that we have just recited. And take a look around. What do you see? Sentient beings. Sentient beings. Even the ones you don't see. Even we walk very carefully not to step on some insect. We can't see them all, right? And where do you draw the line between sentient and insentient anyway? Says who? But from Hakuin Zenji's point of view, each of us is a sentient being sitting here in session. And therefore, We are fundamentally Buddhas, as you guys over here leaped to tell me. Sentient beings, equal sign, Buddhas. So this is the basic teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha. Right? Buddha nature is never apart from us. There may be an occasional moment where you feel actually it is. If you're honest, maybe right now you want to have a nap and you don't want to sit here listening to somebody speaking about your essential nature of naphood. <laughs> this is no different from your Buddha nature. But we tend to think, oh, lazy. Okay, you can call me Buddha if you wish, but I'm a lazy Buddha, a sleeping Buddha, and I want to go and lie down right now. You can lie down. Go ahead. I don't mind. You can put your head in someone's lap and your feet in someone else's lap. No? Juyo-san, please. (laughs) Keep it real. (laughs) He works so You have no idea. 
So special dispensation when you feel like lying down during Taisho, you may. So this Buddha nature that is never apart from us, whether we are standing, walking, sitting, or lying down, this is what is meant by sameness or oneness. We all inhabit this realm without exception. We might say fundamentally means what? It is our essence, right? It doesn't mean to be so, it doesn't mean that we are sometimes Buddhas when we are sitting in, in royal samadhi. It means we are Buddhas, no doubt about it. Already Buddha, always Buddha. This is our essential nature, our birthright. But, why is there a but? Well, from a conventional perspective, there is a but. Conventionally, only this but. Superficially, right? We are caught up in our own limited ideas about reality our limited views about what this is, our fears, our preferences, our sense of who we are apart from all others and a kind of preeminent sense of I need this, I don't want that, I am anxious about the future end. Because we believe this limited view to be who we are, what happens? Hmm? We are someone who can hear better can tell me. Huh? Trapped. In delusion, we are trapped. You are absolutely right. <laughs> yes, whether we can hear or not, we are trapped in this delusion of a separate self. That's right. So, therefore, we think in order to get out of this trap, uh, and another way of putting it might be what Buddha called what? Ah, samsara, dukkha, right? Dukkha, suffering or misapprehension, many ways you can translate it. So we feel this trap and we want to get out of it. And so what do we think when we hear sentient beings are fundamentally Buddhas? Hmm? Okay, you might think, yeah, right, for myself, yeah, right. Maybe I will allow the other 40-some people here that fundamental truth, but not myself. You might think it is that kind of uh, exceptional sentient beings with the exception of I are fundamentally Buddhas. What else? Where do we find the Buddhas? Hakuin Zenji asks this question. He says, it is like ice and water. Apart from water, no ice can exist. Outside sentient beings, where do we find the Buddhas? But isn't it so that many times we think our own Buddha nature is somewhere in the future, 
somehow we may get there if we're lucky, if not this lifetime, then if you believe there is some hope of another life, you might perhaps be reborn as some god or goddess in the Tushita heaven, and then you will believe that you are Buddha. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about at all. We see our own faults. We feel our own inadequacy. There's no doubt about it. We experience the distracted mind that takes over our zazen. We feel confusion. And we find ourselves in a kind of illusory notion of practice as linear. Okay, so judging ourselves in the current moment. Um, can I hear some judgments? What would you say about yourself right now in this current moment? Hmm? Too low a tolerance of pain. I need more tolerance of pain. Okay. Who else? I need more training. I need more training. If I can only get to that apex of training, I too will believe that fundamentally I am Buddha. I have not gotten there yet. Okay. What else? I need to be in better shape. I need to be in better shape so I can run around this Dharma hall. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. <laughs> yes? I'm full of desire. I'm plagued. I can't sit down on the cushion without thinking, oh, I like that person. Oh, yeah, I want that. Now, where I really need, no, I'm after this, after seven days, I'm going to be just so handsome. Everyone's going to flock to me, and I'll have my favorite person, and blah, 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 right? Something like that. You will. You're so cute. No <laughs> doubt about it. So desire, when we are perhaps younger than I am right now, desire is a big one, absolutely. And we have to honor it. Right in the midst of desire, where is your Buddha nature? In the desire. Right there, yes. Not separate from. Right there. And that's the problem. We forget that ice is made of water and that we are, no matter how rigid we may feel, that we are in the midst of this Dharma ocean. So we seek it far away. But really, when we sit down to do zazen, we can give ourselves permission to feel the element in which we are swimming. So he uses this metaphor, right? Water is the basic component of ice. And no matter how individuated each icicle may be, some of you were here for Rohat's session, we had plenty of icicles. Anytime you come here between uh, October and June, actually, you can appreciate the nature of ice and how each frozen shape is so remarkable and yet never can be apart from water. And what about water? Water itself is formless, right? It can take any form. It can be the raindrops we had a little while ago. 
can be uh, the lake sparkling in the summer light. It can be rivers rushing through their banks. It can be oceans crashing against near and distant shores. It can be what is contained, what is the shape of water when it's poured into a tea bowl? This shape right here. But we tend to forget this truth of the element in which we are swimming. And we tend to believe in our own ice-formed selves. And this creates this sense of feeling trapped, as you said, and anxiety about how we will go forward, and maybe also anguish about where we've been, the past, the future, and always trying to find some solid ground for this perceived separate self. But I think everyone in this room has experienced the truth that there is nothing we can hold on to. Hmm? Change, change, change. Tuesday evening, we were visiting our son in Northampton. It was a beautiful evening. So I said to Andy after we had left them for until the next day, I said, I'm going for a walk. It's just so gorgeous out here. And I walked, I walked, and I walked. I got lost. I walked some more. I got lost again. I walked some more. I walked and I walked. It was beautiful. I loved it. But when I got back, I could hardly walk. And the next day, couldn't walk. These things happen. Change. No big deal. I went to have it x-rayed. The hospital wanted to know, did you fall? No. I just had a wonderful walk. <laughs> so... Everything is changing, this moment, the next moment. And we can really see it if we look clearly, clearly, that uh, things arise and pass away at the same time. It's not that we come into existence and then pass away right at the same time. Everything is coming and going, coming and going. Several of us from Mahoenji in Syracuse are deeply involved in one of my most beloved disciples' imminent death. And she has been such an inspiration and such a pain in the neck over all these years. Many difficulties, brilliant, unstable, devoted, intrusive. You name it, we've experienced it all. And the love that pours from this being and that brings forth 
such love from us all, no matter what, is truly extraordinary. And so we are seeing her passing away, coming into existence, embracing her own end, resisting with all her might. And all of us are receiving this incredible teaching. Who knows whether we will see her again at the end of session. But we will. And when I spoke to her yesterday on the phone, she said, please tell everyone at session, I love you. And even those who have no idea about who this is, you can feel it, right? You can feel it. This is a rising and passing away in the same moment. So it isn't easy. We are conditioned to want solid ground under our feet. We are conditioned to hold on to whatever the form may be that we have identified as who we are. And it's difficult to realize this flowing nature, the water in which we are swimming, has no form. So Hakuin Zenji says, We are in the midst of water, and yet we are crying in thirst. What is it that we have identified as we, oneself, that creates this sense of thirst or desire, as you said? And then he gives another uh, metaphor, Actually, it's a parable from the Lotus Sutra. We are like the rich man's son who wandered away among the poor. Some of you may remember reading this in the Lotus Sutra, chapter 4. There was a boy who left home. He became a vagabond wandering aimlessly from place to place, just taking this job and that in order to survive. No particular motivation or direction. One day, after many years of this kind of life, he stumbled upon a mansion. And unbeknownst to him, it was owned by his father, Many years had gone by. He had no understanding that this was the case. And as for the father, he looked out and immediately recognized this ragged fellow as his son. And he was so overjoyed. The son had returned. He sent some messengers to greet him. But when the son saw the messengers, he became afraid. He thought they were going to arrest him. And he was confused and frightened. And the father saw this and realized his son was not ready 
to accept the truth of this relationship. So later, the father sent his servants to offer the son a job shoveling shit. The son had been living so poorly for so long, he thought this was a great opportunity. And little by little, he took on other tasks. For about 20 years, he worked diligently in his father's compound, still not realizing whose it was. And he was finally promoted to chief steward in charge of all the treasures in his father's storehouse. He never told him his true identity. But when his death was imminent, the father revealed the truth of their relationship and bequeathed all of his treasure to his son. Now you may think, oh, this is just some old story in one of those early sutras, and what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you? Have you ever experienced that feeling of being adrift, apart, alone, no connection, alienated from everything, without anything you could say, oh, this is my treasure. Hmm? Anyone? And, of course, in the Lotus Sutra, it reveals this treasure was always his birthright. This is what Hakuin Zenji is referring to. Fundamentally, you are Buddha, already Buddha. You have this treasure, but you don't recognize this is what he is telling us in using this parable. And then he says, the reason why we transmigrate through the six worlds is that we are lost in the darkness of ignorance. We are ignorant of this treasure, this inner light. We believe what we've been told. You're no good. You'll never make it. And we help that along, right? We internalize this, going astray further and further in the darkness. When are we able to be free from birth and death, from this continual round of neediness and apprehension, anxiety, and all kinds of self-recrimination? arising again and again. Samsara, as you said. Then Hakuin says, as for zazen practice in the Mahayana, we have no words to praise it fully. And he goes on and gives many examples of how we can be fully with this, this, this. Even those who have practiced it for just one sitting, 
will see all their harmful karma erased. Nowhere will they find deluded paths. The pure land will be near at hand, not in Amida Butsu's heaven after this life, but nearby, right here at hand. What is it about this one sitting? What does this mean? Just this one sitting? No. Hmm? No. Steady breath. What is revealed in this now breath? When you are truly in one sitting, what has happened to all those ice forms you have been seeing as yourself? Hmm? They have melted, right? We are melting. And when we truly give up all the formulations that we have become so good at, oh, well, I am a person who, I believe such and such, I need this and that. When we really give up, okay, I surrender. Just one sitting means giving up everything that's in the way and seeing that whatever is in the way is it. I hope you can see the simultaneity of that. It's not that we give up whatever is in the way in order to become this awakened Buddha but that we stop thinking of what is, quote, in the way as not being the way. Everything is the way. When we can have this all-embracing one view of all of this, not just the insects we like, versus the ones we don't like. But all of this, not just the people we have decided are worthy of our friendship, but all, not just the politicians who seem to make the most sense in terms of our future direction, but all. This is very difficult. But this is what one sitting requires and is revealing, okay? It isn't that we have to do this in order to find that our hearts are open unconditionally without excluding anyone. When we sit, that's what it is. This is what he means. Just one sitting. All their harmful karma is erased. If you see harmful karma as all the concoctions you have about the world, all the delusions about reality, of course they're going to become this kind of endless round, right? And of course, you're going to complain, oh, I can't sit because my mind is so preoccupied with this and that. I have to do blah, 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 blah. Why can't I blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. Give yourself some doksan. <laughs> this is one sitting. Don't wait. Because as the Lotus Sutra also reminds us, we are living in a burning building. How long do we have? 
no time. Speaking of time, I wanted to read you something from Norman Fisher, a friend of mine who's in the Soto tradition and uh, was abbot for a while at Green Gulch. <clears throat> And he's quoting Dogen. Dogen said, Consider the Buddha. Although he was wise at birth, the traces of his six years of upright sitting can yet be seen. As for Bodhidharma, although he had received the mind seal, his nine years of facing a wall is celebrated still. If even the ancient sages were like this, how can we today dispense with wholehearted practice? Wholehearted practice means just one sitting. And then Norman says, Dogen is saying, the Buddha didn't meditate to become awakened and end his suffering. Isn't that usually the way we see it? Okay, I'm going to have this wonderful Kensho experience and then I'll be free and clear. No more delusory thoughts, right? I'll be awake. Well, yeah, maybe. The Buddha didn't meditate to become awakened and end his suffering. He meditated because he was already awakened. And this is true of each one of us. We come to session because we are already Buddha, as we heard Hakuin Zenji start this song. Fundamentally, we are awakened, therefore we sit. In our awakened mind, we clear away that which we have in conventionally identified as that which keeps us trapped. Because we can sit down and become Buddha, we are no longer trapped. That was an illusion. Who was that masked man? No reality whatsoever. And also, Norman says, think about it. The notion that the Buddha, or you and I, is unawakened and will later be awakened implies a particular concept of time. Time as linear, as I said. Time is a road we walk on, the grand illusion. The past is behind us. We are taking steps here in the present toward a future that is up ahead. We were suffering. We are suffering. But in the future, we will no longer suffer. It's grand illusion. And then he ends with, I think, a wonderful... Uh, Understanding of this truth. Sacred time doesn't operate by the same rules as ordinary time. In sacred time, all moments occur at once. So I just want to warn you not to take this in a bifurcated way. Okay? Of course, sacred time includes all of ordinary time. But just for the moment, let us listen. When he says in sacred time, all moments occur at once. This is the important thing. The moment when we sit in meditation with our suffering, where's your pain? Your knees. The moment when... You sit in meditation with your knees. 
And he says, with our suffering hearts. Okay, so knees, that's easy. What about opening to this world of suffering? What about realizing that we in our separate bubble of I am the that suddenly we can open, 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 open. And what do we find? The whole universe. Suffering and joyful at the same time. Great joy in those knees. Let me go back to the way Norman put this. The moment when we sit in meditation with our suffering hearts is the same moment when the Buddha suffers, awakens, and teaches. It all happens at once. And this teaching echoes uncanny insights of contemporary physics. Who here is a physicist? From the Buddhist perspective, we all are, okay? We all are. Because time and space are not rational, eternal containers in which events occur. Can you say that? Time and space are not Very good. Please keep this wonderful statement in your mind. Time and space are themselves the events, simultaneous and all-inclusive. Therefore, we are literally, okay, literally, not figuratively, not wishfully, but literally, Meditating with the Buddha, his and our suffering and awakening, along with that of all beings, occurs with our every breath. Therefore, of course, we have a reverential heart, right? It's not a matter of if we listen to this truth even once. With a reverential heart, this is what is revealed. This is Azen. This simultaneity. And of course, then we feel praise. You may think that Zen and gospel Christianity are two separate things. They are not. Right now, feel this. Feel this. How can we not shout out, praise the Lord? I'm not a Christian. I'm not talking in some sort of sectarian way. I mean, this is it. This is what we are experiencing. This is why we sit. Why we do seshin. Not in order to get something, but to be this. This dharma. Right here, right now. So that's why he says the gate of the oneness of cause and effect is open. We are not doing something in order to cause an event or an effect that we want to happen. It's already happening. How many of you tasted your food at lunchtime? Hmm? 
Yum, yum, yum. Hmm? This is the same thing, okay? This is the same. The gate of the oneness and of cause and effect is open. No one is stopping you from allowing your taste buds to be thrilled. Yes, thrilled. We are not here to say, now we're gonna go do Zazen. This is not Zen. This is some kind of misconception, very serious misconception. I can only testify to the truth of pain. I do not get stuck in joy. Okay, no problem. That's what you prefer, okay. When we sit in this way of being one with Buddha, of course the form of no form is the form. There is nothing in the way. Just the way continually revealing itself. Our hearts open to whatever comes. Sadness, loss, suffering of all kinds. The happiness, the pleasure of being alive knowing we are dying to savor this one grain of rice for the last time. Of course we cannot be any place else. Thought of no thought, as thought, pure, clear mirror of this no thought. As true thought, then singing, dancing, how can we not? We are the voice of the Dharma, Hakuin says. No matter what, you may be singing and dancing and sitting very, very still. In fact, the stillness itself creates this freedom within, the freedom of this melody that is emanating from each of us, from the leaves in the breeze, from the animals, the birds, from every direction, the voice of the Dharma. And then he says, how boundless the cleared sky of samadhi, this experience. How transparent the perfect moonlight of the fourfold wisdom. Some of you may wonder, what is he referring to by fourfold wisdom? Anybody? Are you wondering? Yes? No, I, I thought you were asking what it was. I had the um, conception of it from the, the teaching of Ibaroshi's actually. 
And? Well, there's the enlightened mind that's uh, not uh, engaged. That enlightened mind is, is spoken of as the great, perfect mirror wisdom. Everything is revealed exactly as it is. No obscuring. Nothing on that mirror. See. See. The second is universal nature wisdom in which everything is seen as one mind. There is no differentiation, just this absolute one, this sameness pervading everywhere. Third? to get out of that and, and to connect with the, uh, right. with the relative. So the sameness and then the differentiation. Not getting caught up, however, in the relative, but seeing each particular being in its own unique wonder. So, therefore, Umon said, when asked, what is Buddha? Shit-wiping stick. Oh, was amazing. Unique. Pieces of shit on that stick. Fantastic. So there you have second and third together, right? The sameness of that. And then the fourth, very important. Do you remember? Fourth. In a, in a sense, we might say that the oneness therefore leads to the perfection. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening. 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 Thank you for listening.